You're listening to First Church Charlotte. Last Sunday, the students in our student ministry got together in the 11 a.m. service while we were having church, and they made 500 sandwiches for the homeless people in the city of Charlotte. And I love, I love that kind of a thing, and it's the kind of thing that we as a church, we need to be committed to, and we need to believe in and support. And so uh, our, student, our students and our student ministry team and some of our parents uh, were involved in helping with this and organizing it, and uh, I already got myself in trouble this morning telling about how Tamisha Judd uh, helped this happen, but she's not Tamisha Judd. She married a very fine young man by the name of Chad Udemark, and <laughs> he changed her name. You see, I knew her when she was 15, back before she had accepted Christ as her personal Savior. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what you say. <laughs> anyway, so um, uh, she, her and the student team and all the students got together and made these sandwiches and took them to one of the homeless shelters here in Charlotte to feed, it, feed homeless. Isn't that awesome? Let's give them a hand right now. So I am going to preach for a little while, but I'm using a great big prop as a teaching, preaching example. Some of you will notice this fine uh, backdrop that we are putting on the wall. Very, very cool. Those are, those are pieces of wood that are uh, gathered and cut various lengths and sizes, just like humanity. And you'll notice they're all different skin colors, just like humanity. And you'll notice some of them are gray, just like humanity. <laughs> because we all go gray if we have hair. Sorry, Paul, where are you at? So, um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's not finished, as you can see. Uh, it is unfinished. And being a flexible preacher, uh, I decided to, u- to use it as a great big prop. And I'm going to preach today on this subject of unfinished. Smile at your neighbor and say, that part was for you. You are unfinished. And to use a place... A context in scripture, I am going to tell the story of three siblings, two sisters and a brother that were perhaps uh, the closest of Jesus' friends with the immediate exception of the 12 disciples. And so we're going to tell the story of Martha, we're going to tell the story of Mary, and we're going to tell the story of Lazarus. And so we are all of us unfinished, and I'm preaching on that today. If you're going to help the preacher, somebody say in Jesus' name. Now, thank you very much. If you will keep that kind of support going, uh, then I'll keep it under, you know, an appropriate time. But I get long-winded if I feel insecure. And so that's right. That's right. Sister Purple's always like, whoop, mm. So, in order to make Sister Purple happy and my wife happy, I'm going to also refer to the shortest scripture in the Bible today, which is, of course, you know, Jesus wept, the shortest scripture in the Bible, and actually the only one that Sister Purple has memorized. (laughs) Sorry, that's funny. Uh, Jesus wept. My wife always wants me, uh, because she has that same spirit, you know, 
my wife always wants me to preach short, and so she's excited when I use the shortest scripture in the Bible because she mistakenly believes I won't have much to preach on. <laughs> that was, anyway, moving along. All right, so... Um, Let's talk about this. Let's get started. I love preaching the word of the Lord to you. I, I love, uh, it's the honor of my life to preach, to teach the word of the Lord. So let's get into it. Uh, we, are, we are here in the spring, this beautiful year. It's a beautiful crowd. We have uh, facilities the Lord has blessed us with. and uh, We have a good number of people here today. And we have a good number of kids next door. And we are in all respects blessed. Somebody say, I am blessed. Now, I want you all to know, and I often tell this to the uh, people who come to my small group, which is immediately after this service called First Steps. Uh, if you haven't come to that, you need to come and, and listen to all my stories. Um, I, I always tell them, this is not the church I grew up in. It, it, it may have been the same church in continuity of ministry, but it's not, it's not really the same church. Now, um, I grew up in a small church. It wasn't at this location. And, of course, uh, my dad, Reverend Bishop, and my mom, Reverend Sister Bishop, uh, they were uh, the pastor. I was five years old when they were elected to take over the church. The church had been founded in the 50s. There had been seven pastors who had tried for a few years, and each of them had given up, uh, not, not because they were uh, bad people by any means, but it's hard to start a church. It's very hard. And sometimes you have to step back, not for your sake, but for your family's sake, and they, all of them had felt that way, and uh, the difference with my, my mom and dad is they stayed, and um, they had the same feelings of failure and setback, they just didn't quit when they had them, so, <laughs> and um, he wasn't worried about his, you know, children being saved, because we were nearly perfect in all regards, and so... Uh, <laughs> That's the church I grew up in, very small church. I love to tell my first steps class crazy stories about things that happen. Like I love telling the story about the, the one guy who was a, a full gospel preacher, a very big guy, and uh, he tied his pants up with a rope belt, and he was getting blessed down on the altar one night, and he was like right there. I was sitting right behind him, full frontal, right behind him, and he was jumping up in the air, and the rope belt broke on his belt, and his pants went straight to the floor, and I got flashed in the house of God sitting right on the front row, and I've never recovered. And if some of you wonder why I'm troubled to this day, that's why. And uh, he was quite, quite uh, dexterous. I mean, he never, he never missed a beat. He just dropped all the way to the ground, grabbed his pants and jumped all the way back up. <laughs> victory in Jesus, brother, victory in Jesus. So um, let that be a word of wisdom to anybody with, uh, anybody at risk, shall we say. Uh, a lot of crazy stories. Uh, we were we 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 had good times. We had bad times. Uh, I right after I became the pastor of the church, we were. Uh, I had worked on the church, but once you're the lead pastor, you start reviewing all of the finances of the church and worrying about this and that, and how you're going to make this offering and that commitment, and all that stuff. When I was just on the staff, well, my 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 dad would wor have those worries. I just tried to show up and smile pretty, and uh, those were the days, my friend. And <laughs> and so um, we were demoing out this church, and uh, there used to be offices all back on the side walls, and and over here, I um, I found. Uh, up in the ceiling when we were demoing out. We were just tearing up and working, and I was here working with them, and I found a box full of old deposit receipts of the church. And um, I, I, I pull out, very interesting, they were dated like 78 and 82 and all these old deposits, and I pulled them out, and I, I looked at them, and I realized really for the first time in my life why I had grown up poor. 
<laughs> Why, you know, the first five years of my life, we lived in a house with rats in it. You know what I mean? I, I literally used to hunt them with BB guns. A true story. You guys make that up. But we had a scheme in place, man. Me and my brother were like Daniel Boone around there, moving tactically through the shadows. And um, it's, it, that's the church I grew up in. Um, today, w- there's a lot of blessing. And, and, and there's blessing that comes with larger churches. You have, you have more talent. I'm very thankful for the talent that's in this church. And uh, we're blessed with very talented people. We have a, a wonderful music director and uh, Sister Megan. And uh, we have a wonderful uh, uh, band leader. And um, I forgot your name, brother. What's your name? You just work for me. What I write on your check every week? Preston, and so um, <laughs> Preston actually, uh, he plays everything up here. He actually is teaching lessons now, so if any of you have children and you want them to learn keyboards or guitar or African bong-bong dancing drums, um, <laughs> I tried to think of something really random, you know, or the Chinese, what's the thing? He can teach their children that, and uh, <laughs> he can teach everything, and he will come to your, anyway, how did I get on that? Anyway, he's teaching my kids. So, um, and yes, I'm paying them for it. So, <laughs> uh, I'm thankful for the talent we have in the church. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for the, um, I'm thankful for all of these, uh, wonderful people. I love the, the, the fact that when you get to a certain size, you have a tremendous amount of nationalities represented. That's awesome. Uh, I love that. Uh, I love the fact that there's over 30 nationalities in our church. And I love the fact that when my friends occasionally slip in to visit because, you know, I'm the pastor. (laughs) Praise God. Let's take my offering. Um, They're always amazed by that. The number one thing they they meet is, uh, they see is that. And and now among my little world of non-church friends, you know, I I get teased about stuff. Uh, And one of my my friends who's, uh, anyone not going to tell that story. Let me just move along here. I love all of the dimensions of the church. I I love being a part of a bigger church. I love the fact that there's people, you have backgrounds, I don't know. Some people love small churches because it's safe, you know, and uh, you don't have a whole lot of, every service can really be for you. Um, and um, now there are some small churches that aren't that way and they're very much outward focused and they're growing. Um, but when a church gets to a, a certain size, you, you begin to feel an average size church in America is between somewhere between 60 and 75 people. And so we're multiples of that. If you look at our different congregation, I'm thankful for that. That's not my growing up experience. I grew up feeling very small, feeling um, very, very much like, um, you know, we have to do everything. And um, I grew up playing the drums in church because we needed a drummer. That's what happens when you're a PK. <laughs> Whatever you need to do, you're doing. My sister grew up playing the piano because, well, we needed a piano player, yes. And um, uh, my brother grew up playing the drums also and causing general trouble because that's my brother. And uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I'm thankful for all of that, but I'm also thankful uh, to have a larger church. And I um, went to college, and there was this whipsaw effect because the church at college, when I was at college, they were huge. They had the best of everything, the best facilities, the biggest names, celebrity preachers. You know, that's I'm not a celebrity preacher, in case you were wondering. Um, they had the best 
best music. They, they, they were like 20 times bigger than the church I grew up in. And I had this kind of whipsaw effect. And then eight and a half, nearly nine years, full-time evangelizing. Every Sunday, I'm at a different church. And you feel all of these different styles of churches. Um, and you, you see how the churches get styles and personalities, different ways of doing things. All that's fine and good. It's not a right or wrong thing. It's just a real thing. And so um, I, I was really um, uh, put through a education process going to all these churches. And, and, and truthfully, a lot of times uh, when you're in God's education program, it feels like suffering. But it's not suffering, it's education. Can I get a witness in the house? At the time, you just feel like you're suffering. You're like Moses. I'm in the wilderness. Nobody knows I'm here. I stare at sheep all day. No one loves me. I'm lost. No, you're being prepared for something. And so to all of you who feel like you are Moses in the backside of nowhere, stuck doing nothing, overqualified and underappreciated, whoo, see, I blessed some of you right there. All of you, I'm here to tell you, this may not simply be patience and suffering. It might be preparation and education. Don't begrudge the education of the Lord in your life. Don't begrudge the becoming. Did you hear what I said? Don't begrudge the becoming, but rather place yourself on the potter's will and say, mold me and make me into who you want me to be, oh God. And so um, it's, you know, I always wanted to preach as an evangelist. I always wanted to preach from that scripture, Jesus wept, because I feel like there was a mystery there. Why are you weeping, Jesus? You're about to, you're about to say, Lazarus, come forth, and he's about to come out of the tomb. What are you crying over? And I felt like there was something there, and I tried to preach it a few times, but I, I really, it really, it really wasn't ready in me, and, and um, the only thing I could end up with preaching when I preached from Jesus wept was this idea that he he wanted the people close to him to see. He wanted them to see. He wanted them not just to dutifully be a friend, but he wanted them to see he's more than just a man. He is the resurrection and the life. He wants them to see. He wants them to have a sense of understanding. They don't just stagger service to service. My God, I'm preaching here today, aren't I? They don't just struggle from Sunday to Sunday. They have a sense of a world beyond this world. They have a sense of a purpose beyond this moment. And they see, they have eyes to see. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Open your eyes and see, and they don't, and it, it, it's frustrating him. I, he's not crying over Lazarus. Let me, real quick, just in case anyone doesn't know this story, Jesus was very close to Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They were three siblings. Their parents had died young. They lived together, and the result of this was that they lived in a bad neighborhood. Bethany was a mile and a half away from Jerusalem. Bethany itself means a a place of misery or a miserable place in its colloquial use. And in its literal meaning, it means a house of unripe grapes. A house of unripe grapes. Somebody say immature. Now turn to your neighbor and say, that was for you. <laughs> a house of unripe grapes. Immature. Okay, this is a story. There's depth in the story. I couldn't see it, and now, thank God, now I'm starting to see it. There's depth in the story. He had young people. Their parents die when they're young. They literally are, uh, how shall we say this? They are uh, kind of making their own way in the world. They're kind of, and, and, and they're coming of age, and uh, their life is not, is, is difficult, not easy. They live in this bad neighborhood. No one wants to live in Bethany. Uh, it's a miserable place. It's this house of unripe grapes, and, and yet Jesus spends a lot of time at this place. 
if I understand correctly, Jesus is recorded more at the house of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in Bethany than any other place. Multiple times in the scripture, we are given this picture of them there uh, in Luke chapter number 10, this private supper hosted by Mary and Martha. In John chapter number 11, of course, is the resurrection story when Jesus is there. Matthew 26, Mark 14, John 12, all of these are giving us the picture of Jesus here at Bethany. He's very, very close to Martha. He's very, very close to Mary, and he's very, very close to Lazarus. And when Lazarus is sick, he stays away. Now, I love that this story is in the Bible because every time I've ever been sick, I felt like God was not very close. I was like, I'm down here, Lord. I'm hurting. I'm suffering. Can you, like, maybe show up and give me a firework display? And it never works that way. He asked me to believe on the tough days. He asked me to put one foot in front of the other on the difficult days. He asked me to be a testimony when a testimony is worth having. Anybody can shout at ladies' conference. Our 9 a.m. our 9 a.m. number was down, just so you know. And I told our leaders, I was like, the 9 a.m. number is going to be down. They said, why? I said, ladies' conference, them women are wore out. I said, they will come in late. They will make their husbands mad on the way to church. They will be half backslid. But if we can survive 9 a.m., we'll pram doing the 11 a.m. And the leaders were like, brother, that may be harder than you think. <laughs> and so it's easy to shout at ladies' conference. It's easy to shout at men's conference. It's easy to shout when things are good. But when you're sick and Jesus stays away, what happens to your testimony? Does your testimony end when you don't perceive him to be near? That's the beginning of bitterness for a lot of people. Jesus stays away. And they're literally sitting shiva for, for, for Lazarus. He's dead. He's been buried. There's seven days of mourning in the house. And Jesus comes, you know, dragging into town like some of you guys coming into church. I love y'all. <laughs> y'all so sweet. You pretty girls in the front row. I'm not talking to y'all at all. <laughs> Come flashing in here all pretty and what. Anyway, moving along. And these young men over here just as bad dragging in at the last minute. My goodness, I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. So, what are we talking about? I forgot. Let's preach about something today. Jesus showing up the last minute, and yet it's too late. Mary, Mary runs out of the house, finds him, and she says, Lord, if you only would have come on time, if you only would have been here when we needed you. You see, Jesus wants them to see he's more than just a man. He's the resurrection, and he's the life. There's a symbol that must be fulfilled in the story, or we missed who Jesus is. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a philosopher. If you don't see who he is in the story, it's just another story. you got to see who he is. Can you see him as the guy who's a faith healer? Or you can say it does not matter if God be for us, who can be against us? He can show up early. He can show up late. But he's always right on time because when he shows up, he shows up big. And he can do anything, anything, anything but fail. And so, Lord, if you had only come, why didn't you come? Um... Jesus says something that's really interesting in this whole context before he gets to the tomb with Lazarus. He says this, and I've preached this before. It's a great, fun message. Always makes people do a double take when they see the title. I preached it here at least twice to make sure you all heard it the second time. Uh, the title is this. Lazarus is dead. This is a quote from the Bible. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. 
And I always stop right there because people's like, ooh, trouble in the house, trouble in the house. Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. But the Bible continues and says, for your sakes. Why for your sakes? He's not just a faith healer. You've got to see he's not just a faith healer. He's not a traveling philosopher. He is the resurrection and the life. And if the people who are supposed to see that don't see that, then there is no church age. And so he shows up. You know, Mary's out there. Well, let me, let me just real quick talk about this house of unfinished people, this house of immature grapes, this house of a harvest not, not quite ready because there's an interesting subplot here that is unique to the Bible, and I think it is profound in its teaching illustration, and that is this. Now, here you have siblings living together. Their parents have, have passed, and they are kind of making their way in the world. They're very close to Jesus. They, each of them have different, different things. Siblings often develop uh, in contrast one to another. Um, it's, if you haven't noticed this, you either don't have siblings um, or you're not very thoughtful, reflective on sibling matters um, or whatever, but this is a very profitable and broad field of study. Um, if you have a brother who is really good at one thing, you will probably kind of steer away from that and develop in a different area. My, my brother was always a great athlete, just one of those guys that he could do everything good. Um, I'm like athletically challenged. I'm just not athletically at all. Even though I can beat all these guys in 21, that doesn't mean I'm anybody special. And, um, you know, I just, I just, I, I could not, I, I'm not an athlete like that. And so, um, we, we, if you have siblings, like another way, like my brother's very, very passionate. Uh, he, he'll always be a, a, a very slightly better preacher than me, like 0.000000000 to the 90th, 1% better preacher than me because he's so passionate and I'm more of a thinker type and and he is he, he responds to passion so so you push him he jumps on you knocks the fool out of you straightens you out straightens out your kids and that's the end of that um, you push me I step back and I want to understand I never respond to passion so we formed each other you see what I'm saying? And that, that affects me in many ways. I'm not that super passionate person. Some of you guys think that's a weakness of mine. It may be. I don't know, but I am who I am for, through God. And, and um, you know, we, we formed each other. Martha and Mary, whether they like it or not, they have formed each other. Mary is all the time falling out, weeping and crying. She walks in the back door of the church, and she starts crying. Oh. The first song is singing, and her hands are in the air. She's super emotional. She is a worshiper. We need worshipers in the church. If you are a worshiper, you need to embrace it. It is true to who you are, and you are living a lie when you pretend not to be a worshiper. You see what I'm saying? You need to be embrace the fact that you show leadership. Worship's not about attracting attention to yourself or embarrassing. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about authenticity from the very first song, your hands are in the air. I love you today. I worship you. While everyone else is looking around wondering why the, the guitar player missed a note, your hands are in the air saying, we need to move a God in this house here today. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. You're a worshiper. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. 
You'll always be more inclined to pop your neck before I will. You'll always be more inclined to jump up and down before your neighbor will. That's a good thing. Embrace it. Let your light so shine among men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay? That's Mary. Mary's the one. She's crying. She's, she's feeling. She's, she's emoting all over the place. And Martha, her sister, all the emotion was sucked out of the house by Mary. And Martha is not going to be emotional. Why? She's sick of her sister. Oh, my God. Let's fall out again. Oh, my God. Just wait, wait. Now, here comes the camera. Now shout. Sibling stresses. Sibling, it's real, okay? And here's Martha. She's looking for a way to show her value. Well, I'm not going to try to compete with old cry a lot over there. <laughs> Sister, always falling out. Whew. Bless her. This is the house of unfinished people. This is the house of an unripe far harvest. And you have Martha over here saying, you know what, after all that neck popping is done, somebody still needs to work. Because Martha's a worker. Mary's a shouter. Martha's a worker. She just shows up, does her job, not a bunch of hollering and carrying on. She does her job. This is the house of unfinished people. You have one person who thinks the only way to get it right is to always be falling out. And you have another person who thinks the only way to get it right is to show up and stoically do your duty. And here's Jesus. Come into the house of unfinished people, this house of sibling competition, this house of personality projection, because I think it's this way, it ought to be this way. Well, no, I think it should be this way, so it ought to be this way. This house of unripe harvest. And there's another brother in this house, another sibling, and he's just dead. He neither worships nor does he work. He's dead. Now, some of you didn't know where you fit in the church, but now you do. That was funny. Come on, give me some credit. That was funny. Here's Lazarus. He just kicks the bucket. He doesn't worship. He doesn't work. He's dead. So you know what we do with dead people? We bury them. And uh, Jesus is in the shadows, not showing up at this house of an unripe harvest, this house of unfinished people. You have this competition going on. You have disagreement on what it means to be Jesus followers. Thank you for that amen, brother. God bless you with many children. And... Um, Y'all should have more children. Y'all's children are awesome, man. Anyway, you can give them to us if you don't want them. We'll take them. Your children are awesome, man. He has awesome kids. Anyway, moving along. Sorry about that. And so um, here you this competition, sibling rivalry, dead Christians. So Jesus shows up. Martha is in the house, and they're sitting Shiva, and Mary runs out to meet Jesus, and she, she means to greet Jesus, but she always, you know, she means to greet Jesus, but she really rebukes Jesus. 
All these people trying to save Jesus. It's really amazing. Jesus doesn't know what to do. He needs these people in his life to save him. And um, he, he, in this moment where there's this confusion, and they think it's too late, and Jesus says in response, take me where you've laid him. And they're like, no, it's too late. Jesus, you don't understand. This cannot be done. This is a transgression on multiple levels. Number one, our neighbors are going to hate us because he already stinks. That is like a, a, a transgression of social convention, number one. Number two, it's a transgression of Mosaic tradition and law for us to open the tomb. And you're telling us casually to just break Moses' law and open up the tomb for this guy. He's been dead four days. Where were you when we needed you? And the Bible says Jesus wept. The people who should see beyond this context are too busy competing with each other, focused on each other, comparing themselves with one another, being irritated with each other. Martha's in the kitchen saying Mary never works. Mary's at the feet of Jesus saying Martha never prays. Sounds like a church. <laughs> you should be me for a week. I can't make anybody happy. You see what I'm saying? And in the meantime, a brother's dying and then he's gone. And Jesus is saying, take me to where you've lain him. And here they go to the tomb. And Jesus is going to teach a lesson that is a prophecy on top of a miracle. The miracle is the raising of Lazarus, the most famous miracle in the life of Jesus Christ. That's the raising of Lazarus. But the, the prophecy, the revelation is on top of that. And it is this understanding. He's not just a faith healer coming through town. He is the resurrection and the life. And... Mm, I don't have time to preach this. Let me just give it to you at a discount rate, okay? And so here is this dead brother at the house of misery in this area of an unripe harvest, and he is bound up in these bindings that are trying to save him as long as they can. What do we know about binding the dead? It can just delay. It never can fix. It delays corruption. It never fixes corruption. Do you see the prophecy going on here? It is a human covering to something humanity cannot fix. Only Jesus can fix the sin problem. We can cover it up with works of the flesh. We can wrap ourselves in righteousness of the flesh. But only Jesus can speak new life into a dying body. And so Jesus says, take me to where you've laid him. And here's the dead brother. Out here you have one sister who's competing with this sister. She says, we ought to do it this way. This sister says, no, you're all talk, no work. She says, you're all work and no prayer. And here it all is. Jesus didn't show up. Can't do anything right. Our brother's dead. We've got worshipers. We've got workers. And we got dead Christians who don't do either one. Jesus said, take me to where you laid him. And this voice that is going to call out to Lazarus is not the voice of the visiting faith healer. It is the one, the same one who said, let there be light, and there was light. It's the same voice. Of, oh, hallelujah, somebody. It's the same voice that said, let the heavens be separated, the waters be separated, let the earth give forth after their own kind, and it was done. This is the mighty God in Christ. And he says, somebody say it with me, Lazarus, come forth. Oh, I like the sound of that. Say it with me again. Lazarus, come forth. Mm. 
Sister Lois, forgive me for picking on you. I love the fire out of you. You know that when I was growing up, Sister Lois used to shout, and she would shout like this. She did. She'd probably steal wood if you caught her at ladies' prayer meeting. And so, <laughs> and so you know who she learned that from? That's called the Lazarus two-step. It is a long accepted tradition among apostolic folk on how to do the Lazarus two-step. You're all bound up with the grave cloth, and in the distance you hear what? Lazarus, come forth. Oh, that was pitiful. Whatever. Do better than that. Lazarus. And Lazarus, you know what Lazarus does? He's dead in trespasses and sins. He's bound up in all the efforts of the flesh to stop the corruption in his body. He's got the sin problem manifest in the corruption problem. And you know what Lazarus says? I'll tell you what Lazarus says. He says, and he comes up, I'm going to kill somebody when I get up out of here. And he steps down, he's all bound up, and he does the Lazarus two-step. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <sighs> Mary's a worshiper. I love that about her. Mary, she's the one who brought the alabaster box. To me, the most beautiful act of worship in all the, the Gospels. And this wealth, the incense that is in that, the incense that is in that literally is made from small cuttings off of a, a East India plant. And it takes a half a million clippings, a half a million called nards. That's nerd. Fun fact, nerd fact for the day. You clip the nards off of this plant. And it takes half a million of them. Half a million. Yes, five hundred thousand to make one pound of the incense that's in the alabaster box. That's why it was so expensive. That's labor. Somebody has to pay them suckers to go clip all those things and put them in a box. Day after day after day. You clip a thousand so a day. Take you a year to get enough. Out of that is distilled what's in this alabaster box. And she brings it. She breaks it. She's a worshiper. She's filled with emotion. She's filled with overwhelming emotion. And it does not matter to her. Notice it wasn't Martha showing up with an alabaster box. Martha's like, hmm, that's my 401k. <laughs> I mean, I will show up and feed the homeless. You know what I'm saying? But don't be asking my 401k. We got to have, she's a worker. She's practical. She's the one making things happen. If it was up to Mary, nothing would ever get done. She'd always be in the prayer room falling out. <laughs> Martha's like, oh my God. <laughs> Let's go back over here and work some more. Do you see? It's the house of unfinished people. They're in competition with one another. What they cannot see is this house needs workers and it needs worshipers. The job is not to be in competition with each other. The job is to join our efforts and join our prayers and join our faith and say we have a work to do. Everybody needs to get some work and everybody needs to get some worship and everybody needs to get involved and everybody needs to get their hands in the air and everybody needs to get their hand in the work yeah everybody needs a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other we need to work and we need to worship and to anyone I'm almost done to anyone who is neither working or worshiping 
I have a call I want to offer to you today. I want to echo the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And go ahead and do your Lazarus two-step out of that place where you haven't a personal, individual relationship with God that involves worship and work. Devotion and purpose. Fellowship and unity. Do you see? Otherwise, we will forever be an unripe harvest and an unfinished church. But when you get the worshipers and the workers together with Jesus, and Jesus calls forth to the dead of the city, yes, 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 Lazarus is coming out of that tomb, and we celebrate Christ, not as the local teacher, not as a local holy man, not as the traveling religious healer. We celebrate him in this way. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, like my ministry team to step out and come across the front here. We're going to have a prayer service here today. And all of you who raised your hand earlier and you had a need, I want you to practice the New Testament instruction of going and letting someone anoint you with oil, not by their authority, but by the power of the name of Jesus and believe that your life will turn into a witness and a a, a testimony of healing. And so right now, I'd like you to begin stepping out of the chair you're in. We're just going to have a prayer service for a little while here today. I'm done preaching. But this is a time where faith is going to move among God's people. And all across the house, we're going to see the work of God. All of of our, our, our church people, I want you to step out and come with these. I want you to find someone to pray with. I want you to speak the name of Jesus. I want you to pray a prayer of intercession over them. Our friends and guests, feel free to come. You don't have to, of course, but feel free. We won't embarrass you in any way. We won't make you awkward or weird in any way. Uh, We're glad you're here. We want to have the touch of the Spirit of God in this house right now. We want His Word to, to be activated in us and expressed through our faith. All across the house. Come on, church. I want to hear you pray. I want to hear you believe. I want to hear you call upon the name of Jesus. We're going to move among you. We're going to anoint you with oil. And we're going to speak healing into your body. We're going to speak the Holy Spirit into your life, your personal experience. We're going to believe that in this moment, in this service, you are changed by the power and the promise. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.